Okay, welcome everybody. We are now um, going to have a presentation by Dr. Stephanie Mines, and the theme is on regenerative health in relation to climate justice. And so Dr. Mines is, um, she's gone through many incarnations in her single lifetime. Um, I won't go into all the details, but um, currently one way that she um, expresses what she does is that she's an embryologist. And that means that she gets in touch with a person's experience in the womb and um, does various types of healing practices in relation to that. Um, and one of the ways she does that is through Jinshin Tara, which is an acupressure healing technique. Um, and she's been exploring the connections between Jinshin Tara and um, Taoist understanding of, of prenatal life and embryology and how that the story of the embryo is a major story that each person carries with them in the rest of their life and um, that it's a powerful way of really getting in touch deeply with where a person's um, life force is and how they've overcome challenges in their life and what kind of blockages or challenges that may be kind of common for them and then and then how to work at a deep level um, to support a person to to tap into that inner wisdom and strength to meet whatever challenge they're facing in the present life and also to to just thrive and flourish. Um, she's also a founder of Climate Change and Consciousness, which is looking at how humanity has to have a collective awakening in its consciousness in response to climate change. Um, and so related to that, then she has been developing a regenerative health model of how can communities um, engage in regenerative health um, for their own happiness and well-being, but also in relation to their consciousness becoming open to what the challenge of climate change is bringing us um, and um, how that is um, a catalyst for collective transformation, basically. Um, so, uh, so Stephanie, Dr. Stephanie Mines, Stephanie, I know I just call her Stephanie, uh, will be, um, leading us through an experiential exercise and then a presentation and then a more of a free form discussion. So that's kind of the general, um, format for, for what we're doing today. Um, okay. So take it away, Stephanie. Wonderful. John, you did a great job synthesizing the different aspects of my work, the TAR approach and climate change and consciousness, which is really one body of work, but that is not so apparent to many people. And you have done a fantastic job, actually, of weaving those strands together into the beautiful tapestry that they are as transformational healing for birthing the new humanity that will rise out of this catastrophe that we are living in right now. So I'd like to start, as John said, with uh, an experiential exercise. I am not in my usual setting. I am in France, in the village of Chartres, an ancient village uh, 
in the time of the honoring of the Black Madonna. Uh, in my Buddhist studies, I was very much devoted to, and still am devoted to Tara. She is the namesake of um, my healing paradigm. And normally if I would be teaching from my office, you would see a beautiful Tara right behind me. She's always with me. And the relationship between Tara and the Black Madonna to me is obvious. I won't go into that here, but it's all part of the understanding that we are in the time of the rise of the feminine. Uh, that is essential to birthing this new humanity. So I don't have the flexibility that I normally have. My computer is balanced on top of a bag, a towel, a book, and a pillow uh, in order to create this standing desk. So I'm a little wary of playing too much with the screen to show you these sites, but there we go. So the sites I want to point out to you are at the base of the ribs here. I'm on the left side and you may feel more comfortable with the left or the right. So right here, here's the sternum and right to the side of the sternum, there is a shelf of ribs and I'm palming my, that area. So the palm of my hand encompasses the entire area. The center of the palm of my hand, which is a very potent place. Whoops, there goes the computer screen. There we go. There we go. The center of the palm of my hand is in the center of that shelf right there on the other side. And that is very potent, but I am also activating that entire field, which is the connective tissue right under that shelf. The fingertips of my other hand are going to the clavicle, sliding down off the knobby medial aspect of the clavicle. So I'm holding these two sites. This one is called sacred site number 22. It means contentment, uh, one of its translated names from the Japanese system I learned from my teacher, Mary Eno Burmeister. The place at the base of the ribs to the side of the sternum is sacred site number 14, which is known as the sustainer. So we're gonna hold these two sites. And I'm gonna suggest that you hold these sites for five complete breath cycles in which the exhalation is twice as long as the inhalation. So do that at your own pace. And as you do this, being present to your sensation, 
That sensation can be anywhere in your body. It can be in your fingertips. It can be elsewhere in your body, on the sites that you're touching or anywhere else in your body. And be conscious of any changes, subtle or perhaps even dramatic. And when you're ready so that you get more of an extended experience, let's do the same thing on the other side. So whichever side you held, you're now going to hold the opposite side, the connective tissue, your fingertips. It doesn't matter which fingertips resting on the connective tissue under the knobby medial aspect of the clavicle, just resting there your hand encompassing the base of the ribs to the side of the sternum with the center of the palm of your hand generally oriented toward the center of that rib base. Five breaths. And I'm going to suggest to you when you've completed those five breaths that you bring the palms of your hands together with the pads of all the fingers making contact with one another. This is called an inju. You probably would call it a mudra. Slight pressure as you feel the intimacy of connective tissue contact bilaterally and here again at the heart level five breaths with the exhalation twice as long as the inhalation Taking your time to notice, to be aware, to make space for sensory awareness, somatic awareness, listening to your body, listening to your sensation, listening to yourself.
And even as you release your hands coming out of the inju, stay present to what has shifted in your mind body. Notice yourself and welcome those shifts. I would call them actually evolutions. Notice perhaps that your face feels different, that your breathing is changed, that your musculature has shifted, your structure may even have realigned. Lovely to look out and see those who I can see really taking it in, really experiencing it. This is, as John said, from Jin Shantara, which is the applied touch aspect of the Tara approach. The Tara approach is a comprehensive system for the resolution of shock and trauma, but it's actually more than that. It is medicine for these times and to reference what John was saying about embryology. The system of Jinshintara derives from embryological unfolding. It was learning Jinshin that led me to become an embryologist. The energy medicine evolves out of embryological unfolding, which sets the blueprint for holistic health for everyone. Hi, Rosalind, I can see you now. That makes me happy. Hi, sweetheart. So let me tell you what that energy medicine practice was. These sites that we held, I'm not gonna move my computer again, <laughs> it's too dangerous. Uh, the base of the rib and the connective tissue under the clavicle, sacred site number 22, and then below the rib, sacred site number 14, contentment and the sustainer. These sites frame the lung meridian, the air element that lives in the body. And I chose or was guided to choose that opening practice because of something very specific that I want to say for those who are Buddhist, counselors, caregivers, therapists, people in human service, anyone in human service, whether you're Buddhist or not, but because the title of this conference relates to Buddhism, I was orienting towards that in receiving the guidance I received for this presentation. The lung meridian is directly associated with the voice. And the message that I want to deliver to all 
therapists, all caregivers, but I think in particular Buddhist therapists, people who define themselves, identify themselves as being Buddhist practitioners. The message that I want to deliver in this time of catastrophe is to speak up. I believe there is an association between being a Buddhist practitioner and being very soft-spoken and nicey-nicey and never offending anybody and always just being politically correct and please and, you know, asking. I'm not belittling any of those things. Those are beautiful qualities and very, very necessary. But there is another aspect to what it means to be a Buddhist that is not so soft-spoken. And I am speaking here of the Black Madonna. I am speaking here of the divine feminine. And I am speaking here of what is needed in these times. So Buddhist practitioners are associated with compassionate care. Is that right, John? Yes, yes. Compassion is the characteristic of Buddhist practice, is it not? Yes, I would say so. That's the it's the engine that runs the runs the practice. Yeah. So if you are a compassionate being in this time of incredible suffering, what is your responsibility? Is it to be quiet and hidden and not make any waves? Is that truly your responsibility? What is your responsibility in a time, and this time has been going on for quite a while. It's not just happening this month, this year. We are living in a time of extraordinary injustice. What is our responsibility as spiritual practitioners who become caregivers in a time of brutal injustice? How do we act therapeutically? I mean, we're not suffering, right? I'm in a hotel room in Chartres. I flew here and then I got an Uber to drive me from Paris to Chartres. I ate a meal before this talk. I watched John eat a meal. Corey was eating a meal. You're in a comfortable house. You're not suffering. What is your relationship to those who are suffering as Buddhist caregivers? So I started with the practice of opening the lung meridian. Let me tell you about the lung energy, which is in partnership with the heart energy. Embryologically, those two develop so intimately, they're like twins. And twins are very intimate, aren't they, John? John is a twin, yes, so he knows. Yes. <laughs> yes, very intimate. Yes. 
we just know things about each other that no one else could know, right? Yes. Yes. That's the lung and the heart. Embryologically, they develop so intimately that they're like twins. So the lung knows the heart's path. And the voice is one of the expressions of the heart's true path. So when I was guiding you into the opening, the first two steps that would open the channel of your voice, of your lung, of your respiration, air element, the air element is the lung meridian. And the air element is about connection. It's about relationship. It's about not only my relationship to you, I have a relationship to Rosalind. I have a relationship to John, but I also have a relationship to the world. What is my relationship to the world? And how do I use my voice and my breath in service to my relationship to the world as someone who has had Buddhist training? I have had more than a decade of Buddhist training. I have that other spiritual training. What is my responsibility with my voice and my heart as a result of that training? So I wanna tell a story here of something that's been happening over the last few days while I've been here in Chartres, trying to say it properly, Chartres. So I founded, in addition to the Tara approach for the resolution of shock and trauma, where you can find out more about all of these sites. I gave you two, there's many more. It's a practice that will evolve your embryological purpose in being. Not only improve your overall health, your mind-body health, your mental health, your spiritual health, your physical health, that system, it will do that. But it will also evolve your purpose in being. It carries in every one of these sites a piece, a facet of the puzzle of who you are and what you are meant to be. That you knew as a coherent whole, as a somatic whole body, literally body of felt directive when you were conceived. From the moment you were conceived, your form, which evolved into the dark unknown that awaited you with clarity about your intention and in being, and as we all know, that clarity was obfuscated, was darkened, was discouraged by environmental conditions, but that clarity never left. And so this system brings, brings that forward and manifests in your action and your voice and can guide you through this time of great catastrophe. So here's the story from Climate Change and Consciousness, the other organization that I founded. When I founded Climate Change and Consciousness, it 
took the form initially in 2019 of a gathering in Scotland. People came from all over the world. There were over 400 people there and then that many listening online. And we had incredible keynote presenters like Christiana Figueres and um, Bill McKibben and um, people whose names are well known as voices in the climate movement. But we also had people from all over the world trying to grapple with the awareness that humanity was in an existential crisis as a result of the devastation we had wrought on our natural world, on our land. And out of those people came really the forward movement that continues to this day. And one of those groups was called Walking the Land Africa. So we had Walking the Land Amazonia, Walking the Land um, Oceana, and Walking the Land Africa. So we had quite a contingent of people from Africa who came to climate change and consciousness. And out of that group from Africa, something else was born. Uh, this is the beauty of embryogenesis and the beauty of evolution. It gives birth to more and more and more. Like a woman. What came out of Walking the Land Africa was the youth of Walking the Land Africa. So the Africans who came to climate change and consciousness were mature adults for the most part. They were people who were already engaged in starting NGOs in Africa, different parts of Africa, working with regenerative agriculture, et cetera. But they had children and they all had communities with youth in them. And when I say youth, I'm talking ages 13, maybe to 25. For the most part, it was more like 15, 16 to 25, 30. We had a few 13 year olds, but mostly it was adolescents to young adults. So out of Walking the Land Africa came youth leading the world. And out of that, one group was in Sierra Leone. You don't know this, hardly anybody knows this, but in the last week, the people of Sierra Leone, one of the poorest countries in the world, rose up because the inflationary price gouging that's going on right now becomes unbearable for them. They can't go home to a nice house like you do and have a wonderful meal. They go out every day to try to buy some food. And with these inflationary prices, they couldn't even do that. So when they protested, and then the police moved in at the instruction of the government to repress that protest violently, they created a curfew to try to quell the protest. And people couldn't go out of their houses. 
So in Sierra Leone, when people can't go out of their houses, they can't eat because they don't have a stock of food like you do in your pantry, in your refrigerator. You can make a meal probably at the drop of a hat. They couldn't do that. So they were looking like they were starving and they were afraid to go out because people were being killed if they broke the curfew. And their friends of the ones in our youth leading the world, Sierra Leone, their friends were being killed or imprisoned, which might be worse than being killed. So I'm a therapist, I'm a neuroscientist, I'm an embryologist. I founded these organizations. What's my responsibility under these circumstances? Do I have any responsibility? I know these people, I helped, I played a role in bringing them together. I encouraged them to be climate activists. They don't need therapy. I did create a video which I had created for refugees of hands-on practices like what I showed you. And I did send that video to them. So that's for the treatment of immediate panic and shock and that did help them. So I was able to help them, but that didn't put food in their stomach. What's, what's my responsibility? I know these young people. I consider them like my children. What's my responsibility as a Buddhist, as this person who thinks of herself as spiritual, as a compassionate caregiver? Do I have any responsibility? I can't turn away from these young people. I can't turn away from people who are suffering. I also can't go to Sierra Leone. But what I can do is tell other people about their situation. I can talk about it. I can let people know that's what I can do. That's a capacity that I have. And out of telling other people about it, somebody sent them money to these young people. They found a way to send money to them through something called MoneyGram so that nobody has to go out to get it. It can be delivered electronically into their accounts. And do you know what these young people did with that money? They bought food for their neighbors. They bought as much food as they could. They packaged the food and they delivered it to the poorest of the poor, the most suffering. I can send you pictures if you wanna see it. So that's a story I wanted to share with you. It's a story that came to me in reflecting on climate injustice, health injustice, climate crisis, and Buddhist practice. So I'd like to stop here and hear from you. How does this combination of 
topics that I have laid out here, quite an array, land with you? What does it arouse in you? What are your comments? What are your questions? What are your needs? You can speak up directly. You can write in the chat, whatever is most comfortable for you. Hmm. Um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mindspool, for your presence here and for the wisdom that you're sharing and also for the work that you have been doing and offering uh, all of us. I just wanted to um, uh, respond uh, to <clears throat> some of what you've been talking about and in particular, the notion of compassion, you know, that the, the exchange you had with John and the notion of compassion how we center compassion as Buddhist practitioners and what our obligations are as practitioners and the misperception <clears throat> particularly that I see in uh, the West um, that you know uh, this spiritual journey of engaging with Buddhist practices is really just sort of a self-help, uh, a self-betterment uh, journey, which um, overlooks the actual significance, uh, importance of compassion in our practice, because compassion uh, is about concern. You know, it's, it's um, the mindfulness of the well-being of others. And at this particular time on the planet, we can see how um, extractivism, imperialism, uh, capitalism, free market capitalism ha has expanded from our culture across the globe and caused an immense amount of suffering and is continuing to cause suffering. And we can see the suffering that is growing into the future from the place we're at now. And I really think that there is a call to compassionate action, compassionate action. And I, and I, and I love just sort of your framing of it around communication. This is some work I've been doing uh, a lot lately because frankly, you know, as much effort as I put into my Buddhist practices, I'm often triggered by what I'm seeing and hearing out in the world. I'm often overcome. Uh, and my way of communicating sometimes gets sidelined or I get drawn into communication as conflict rather than communication as compassion or service or healing. Uh, there's so much communication as conflict uh, sort of swirling around in the culture that we're in. And so um, 
I find myself drawn into that as I'm sure many of us do. And to sort of ground my voice uh, and my, and my uh, practice as a Buddhist, to ground it in that compassion and, and bring that forth. Um, right now is what I feel is the calling. You know, how, how do I confront uh, sort of all of this um, uncompassionate uh, communication in the world? And, and how do I use my skills uh, with wise speech to address this suffering in a compassionate way? Um, I think it's overwhelming. I think we're at a very overwhelming place. I think the people who are doing these extremely harmful things on a daily basis that we hear about are overwhelmed and uh, frightened and afraid. I think, I think uh, Wall Street and the banking class and uh, the billionaire class, I think they're frightened and afraid. Um, and clinging to what they, what they believe will cure their fears or uh, address their fears. And so uh, I think this is a, a there's a turning in the Dharma right now. And we are being asked to rise to the occasion and maybe to reach out across sort of perceived div divisions with other spiritual practices and, and come together to rise to this occasion. Um, you know, it's as if we have believed that our spiritual practices are whole and complete as they are, but we are seeing that there's a moment maybe where it's time where they've almost been in stasis. Our spiritual practices have actually been waiting to mature and, and this is the moment to, to mature into. And it's a moment of planetary crisis. So you've given me so much uh, food for thought. I appreciate it. I look forward to dipping into your other offerings. And thank you. Corey, that was wonderful. I really treasure everything that you just said. You really encompass kind of the backstory to, to what I delivered here. And you are so accurate in your perceptions. Let me just stop with that for a moment, Corey, because I think you might need to hear this. Your perceptions, Corey, are completely accurate. You have sized up in what you just said, the global condition. Everyone is overwhelmed. And I will tell you that I started with this practice. I will tell you, I wouldn't be anywhere without these practices. These practices have taken the raw intelligence, the raw creativity, the raw passion, the raw intentionality that I was born with 
that was unshaped by my upbringing, battered by my education, abused by men, trampled upon by organizations, trampled upon by spiritual leaders, trampled upon by spiritual communities. This practice has given me the resilience to survive all that with beauty and with focus and with intelligence, creativity, and motivation that does not stop. Without these practices, I have no idea what shape I would be in. And so I share these practices because what they do is they take these very circumstances that you have so accurately portrayed and how those circumstances infiltrate the beauty of who you are, Corey and mess with it. And those external circumstances have been messing with the beauty of who you are your entire life. One of the insights I had, I think it was this morning, was we have confused ourselves with the poison when we are the medicine. And these applications for me, these simple practices have straightened out that confusion for me. So they will detoxify the contamination that has polluted your beauty. And you will rise like a phoenix and know what to say and what to do. So the way in which this overwhelming condition that we all face every day, including as you so beautifully said, the billionaires, the people supposedly in power who are powerless, the way that we can filter out that contamination and come to truth Come to truth is from my experience through a practice. For me, it is very much this practice in combination with my spiritual practices, in combination with the awareness that gets generated by these practices that will sort it out and give me direction, like knowing what it is that I'm supposed to say to all of you. On my tonight, I thought I was gonna say it on my this morning. <laughs> Got my night and morning mixed up. But here I am on your morning and my night in the village of Chartres, the site of the dark mother. And the sight of the aspect of the dark mother 
that gives birth over and over and over again. That is why the reliquy, that one of the most sacred reliquies of the Catholic tradition, of which I know virtually zilch, they have here the, it's called the camisa sancta, the dress that Mary wore when she delivered Jesus. They have that here. It's in a beautiful case with angels around it. The case itself could feed the entire country of Sierra Leone. And that garment has saved many, many lives. There are stories of all the lives that it has saved. But the significance, the metaphor of that Sancta Camisa is that this is the dress that signifies the power of birth, birth that doesn't end. That's the divine feminine. It's the nature of the feminine. And when I say feminine, Corey, I mean the feminine in you as much as the feminine in me. Clearly, I mean, I think, you know, I also, um, you know, that this sort of calling for all of us to, to use whatever spiritual practice we have to engage with this moment. Um, you know, I, I, I strongly respond to your suggestion that, you know, and I can see it. It's not, it's not just you saying it, I, it's happening. It's very clear, very evident that there is a turning towards the divine feminine that we have seen, um, uh, sort of the toxic results of um, an ill masculinity, um, the misguided masculinity, you know, over the course of the last several hundred years. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, when I think about where masculine culture is at this moment, particularly uh, cis, hetero, uh, white male culture. I see a very, very wounded culture um, and uh, very frightened and also um, very disconnected from not only, not just almost all things sacred, but really disconnected from that sort of spark of the divine feminine, which exists in all of us as, as men. Um, and it's, it's the, uh, you know, to, toxic masculinity is masculinity without any engagement with the divine feminine. And um, it, this, you know, this is a profound, profound issue in our culture right now. And arguably all of these ailments that we are seeing globally are, are a, uh, are caused by this. So um, I just really appreciate you bringing that to the discussion about uh, the global condition. Um, so yeah, I'm, I am definitely, you know, interested in nurturing the, the feminine, the sacred feminine, the divine feminine within me, but I'm also very interested in how do we how do we capture the imagination and the spirit of young men 
Mm, beautiful. So I, I really feel as I listen and I tune into you, Corey, here, uh, and I feel so grateful to be meeting you. Uh, and, and what I've learned, this is my first trip since the pandemic. Uh, and I'm meeting students here from Europe who've been studying with me for the last couple of years so that they've only been studying with me online. You know, I've never met them in person before and I'm meeting them in person. And what that encounter with them in person tells me is that the connection I had with them online is very real. So I trust the connection I feel with you right now, Corey, is very, very real. It's not, it's not a virtual connection, it's a real connection. And I know from listening to you and feeling into your being that you will readily and easily find the voice. I want to bring it back to the voice because that's really what I started with in terms of my inspiration for tonight, your morning, afternoon, is the voice, to find your voice. So finding your voice, meaning the voice of your essence. So that could be a written voice. It could be a speaking voice. It could be, it doesn't have to even be an articulated voice. It can be the consolidation of your unique message, your message. Everyone in front of me here and everyone listening to this and everyone watching the recording you all have your own message. I have this wild message that John was somehow able to summarize. So impressive, John, as it's one of my tasks all the time to summarize this complex message, which is a whole piece to me, but doesn't transmit all that easily. It needs a lot of real focused meditation to come up with that uh, concise statement. But each one of you has your own unique statement. I have zero doubt about that. I don't know what your messages are, but I know that they are completely unique to you. And the cultivation of the voice that can form that consolidation and that will carry with it the confidence to deliver it the alignment and the confidence, the trust to deliver it, it's all there. It's all right there. And that's what embryology has taught me. From the moment you are conceived, you have done the impossible. You have stepped into the unknown and made yourself over and over and over again. You know how to do it. You don't know it with your thinking mind. You know it with something much more profound than that, something much more indigenous than that, something much more ancient than that. It comes out of your lineage and your lineage is much more than you think it is. It's not your mom and your dad and your grandpa and grandmother. It's all the great beings that you have descended from. They're all still there in you. You can access all of them. They are supporting you. And that's what embryology has taught me, that we have always moved forward, Rosalind, into the unknown. Even when we were so scared, we couldn't take the next step. We have kept moving into the unknown. 
we found it within ourselves and we can do that now. All of humanity is facing the unknown. And we can do it. We can find our way. And you are the leaders. You are the leaders. I can tell you. Joe Biden is not the leader. You are the leaders. It's not anything that's going on in those forsaken houses of government. You, Corey, you. Rosalind, John, Taylor, Dustin, Dot, Patricia, Chris. I know it's you. I know it. It's you. I know it. That's where it's going to come from. You finding your voice. So one one thing that came up for me was, um, so when you were first uh, starting the exercise, right? So you're um, placing your hands on your body. And so, of course, it made me remember when I was doing sessions with you a long time ago that, um, you know, I would receive acupressure sessions, right? Um, so just the feeling of, of being touched, the feeling of connection, the feeling of warmth, um, intimacy that's safe and contained. Um, so then, so just seeing you touching yourself and then me touching myself, then it, it, the first thing I remember was, oh, I miss doing this. I need to do this. <laughs> I need to uh, uh, keep, keep doing this more. Um, and then, yeah, so then just like the feeling of like relief of allowing myself to be with the sensations and then to feel, to feel like a real intimacy, like a mother and child intimacy within myself. Like I'm, I'm kind of nuzzling myself into my experience basically. Yeah. Um, and so then just how. I always feel that as a great relief. I think, I guess when I was a little, I didn't get enough touch. And so whenever I return to that, it's always this feeling of a great relief. Um, and then the feeling of, yeah, that from, from just the enjoyment of the sensation and this feeling of this kind of relaxing and kind of gentle restoring that's happening. And so then that that feeling of relief, also there's like kind of some upswelling of like just gratitude or love or just some expanding emotion that is just feeling moved by by the experience. Um, and so then later on, then when you were talking about this is supporting the lungs and us um, as Buddhist expressing ourselves. So a big part of my dissertation is talking about how there is this early Buddhism that is an oral tradition. So the, the early tradition is an oral tradition and the tradition is taught through speaking and through chanting and even through, there's like chanting kind of short teachings, but then they also even have like poetry. There's like a whole collection of just of poems and th that would have been 
um, probably sung out loud in some kind of way. Um, and then that that so much of the practice that's being taught is the mindfulness of breathing and mindfulness of being in the body and just the full range of sensations that you can experience through contemplative practice and how the breath energy goes with it. Um, so just a feeling of like everyone coming together around a community of practice where we're chanting together, chanting together as a collective chanting practice uh, and chanting from this tradition and then just really getting in touch with what, what from the tradition really makes sense and really feels solid and then using that as a way to say, this is what I see, this is what um, I feel like is how we can come together as community and then this is how we can say, you know, there's lots of good things that have come with science and scientific materialism, but there's a whole ton of bad stuff that has come with it. And to no longer give full authority to that more conceptual reading and writing voice that is not in touch with the body and um, separates us from this contemplative tradition and contemplative way of connecting with each other. Um, so again, I don't mean it to be like a simplistic thing of like all reading and writing is bad or whatever, but but just more that there's an early yogic tradition. And then even before that, before Buddhism in India, there must have been some indigenous shamanic tradition. And so just seeing that these oral traditions of indigenous shamanic practice and yogic practice that are oral traditions and also relating to the body and also relating to energy. Um, just, yeah, the need for us to, to build community and, and build community through that expression. Yeah. Through that. Um, Beautiful. Being yeah. So I, I'd like actually to link what you're saying with something that Corey said uh, and also um, with the direction I think you're leaning towards. And I've heard a little bit about this before when we've talked, John, about this interest in the in this oral tradition that you have, which I think is, is really important. I think it's a lineage for you. So Corey said that it's not only people who need to evolve, it's spiritual practices, spiritual traditions um, that need to evolve, that need to become current, become compassionate to what is actually going on in the world, to recognize uh, their own uh, racism, to recognize their own um, patriarchy, their own abuses, and to make amends and to do action that shows that they are going to have real contributions to make as a result of awakening to the truth about these spiritual traditions that have violated so many people and make their practices also current. Um, so I, I think you're talking about that, but I also think you're talking about a component, a universal component of the tragedy that we're living through, which is a tragedy of loss of connection and a loss of 
the beauty that comes from being able to communicate by stories. You know, that's why I wanted to tell you the story. It's a current story, but it's a story. It's an important story. It is a resonant story of what's going on right now in Sierra Leone that, pe that people don't know about. And those young people in Sierra Leone who are so courageous, who are quivering for their lives every time they go out of their house and they're 25, 26, 28, um, you know, their cultures were raped. Why don't they have food? Why do they have to go out and buy food? This is an agricultural country with at one time rich, abundant resources, but the white colonization and desertification of their land has also stripped away their cultural traditions stripped away their knowledge of regenerative agriculture and their knowledge of storytelling. And that's what I hear in what you're saying is that, is that you wanna restore that way in which people come together. And that is beautiful. And I want you to do that, John. I want you to do that. And I remember, I hope this is okay to share this, but I remember, John, I won't, I won't give the exact details, but when I was working with John and um, he was really sorting through some complex family dynamics, he did it in a storytelling manner. Do you remember, John? Yeah, clearly, yeah. <laughs> it, unforgettable, you know, as the person who was in the role of the therapist at that, point it was such a magnificent thing to witness i mean he used theater he used real things he, he can i share sure he yeah, came yeah. in yeah. one day with a backpack full of rocks heavy big rocks he could hardly carry them that's that was the story he was telling that, how how beautiful is that you know and that that's who you are john nobody else would do that but you and that's that's what that's what i hear that's what i see when you talk about uh what magnetizes you in the buddhist tradition it's reconnecting through something other than uh diatribes or didactic teachings it's it's through other mechanisms that bring people together. That is a very important part of the healing that needs to happen now. And it's unique to you. And that's what I mean. What you are supposed to deliver is unique to you. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Now, if you do some of those jinshin practices that I taught you, <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll go better. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. And also the story through music story through dance not just yes uh, chanting buddhist teachings uh, but yeah so again exploring how how different cultures how we can re-indigenize and share stories through the voice but also through movement through music through what what we know what we can do that will really uh renovate the Buddhist traditions, you know, as somebody who has 
you know, studied at the feet of Buddhist masters who I respect and who I honor. I am not in any way criticizing them. Thankfully, I did not study at the feet of those who I would criticize. I know who they are, uh, but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about ones who I do respect and who were wonderful teachers to me. Um, the only people doing the chanting and the dance, it was very prescribed dance. It was only dance that monks could do. It was very male. It was very us and them. It was all hero worship and you're better than I am. And what can I do to achieve that? And, you know, a million, a million, a million, you know, prostrations, maybe I might make it, probably not. You know, it's it's just that whole formula, bless those wonderful people who have done that. And, you know, their minds have evolved and many have achieved a very high state of being. I, I am not being um, globally uh, disrespectful, uh, but that maybe something new needs to happen now, as Corey was suggesting, in order to deal with this catastrophe. Um, so we have a uh, 15 minutes left. Is there anyone that hasn't had a chance to share that would like to share something or, or ask a question? Any comments, Rosalind? I'd love to hear your voice. Well, you, you know, I always have a comment, <laughs> but, um, I listen, um, and, and this is, um, I appreciate you, um, Stephanie, the um, way that you are so consistent in your messaging and how broad um, it, a, a space you give it is, is, is always so intriguing to me um, and always add, adds growth to me. And I appreciate you very much. You know, I, I show up, I'm not, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, not like stalking you or anything, but when things, when you put things out, I really try to pay attention and I appreciate you. Um, last night I, I um, listened to, to um, the introduction and, and John, um, and it was two hours and John gave theory for an hour and a half, right? Uh, not theory, I'm sorry, practice, the act. And, and I, I found it very interesting. Um, and, um, I, and I know that's what you do and you do it well, I'm sure. There is nothing that I saw in you last night um, that, that I saw today when you started talking about your feelings and how that touched you. And I, I could see how that brightened you and enhanced your, you know, life, life or, or to, for today or, but I, I, it's in you. And that's why Stephanie talks all the time about what's inside of us that we have to bring up. And um, I would love that you, if you just think about, because I was watching you last night, I, mean, I was like, this John is giving this conference. I'm like, he's very academic. I'm like, <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I didn't know that that was, you gave me a lot of Buddhist um, 
um, in, information, but I didn't, you know, I, I had no real sense of what that felt like. And, um, but when, when, when you talked to Stephanie today, I felt it. And that's what she does. And I'm so happy that you <laughs> bought her on your panel so that when people see this, they see you and if, you know, <laughs> they see you in a, in a different light, in a more connected way and can help follow you to where you want to be as you start your own um, institution. That's what I have to say. And thank you. And thank you, um, Mr. Corey, also. Thank you for sharing that, Rosalind. I really I appreciate it. I'm going to put my uh, websites both. Uh, I hope when I type, the whole thing doesn't fall apart here. <laughs> it could. It's going to wiggle a little, but. Oh, I'm putting in my personal address, which actually I can put that in too. I'm happy to give you my personal email address. Anybody who wants to reach out to me personally, please do. And then uh, the TAR Approach website. It's a little hard to type <laughs> on a pillow. And then uh, climate change and consciousness where you'll find out more about the people in Sierra Leone, as well as ways that you could um, contribute. I'm telling you, $10, $15 can feed a whole neighborhood in Sierra Leone, $20, $30, $50. So the information uh, on how you can send a money grant, uh, to Alpha Cardbo, he's kind of the head of the group. Uh, if if that if that feels like something you would like to do out of your compassion, it'll feed a lot of people, and hopefully won't get anybody killed going out to buy the food. Um, John, I I noticed I Stephanie, I'm not sure if you typed that into the chat. I noticed that my chat messages go directly to. John, and I don't see anything. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right, Corey. That chat message. Let me change that here. No, it only lets me send it to John. So, so um, probably a glitch with the group Zoom, but I know um, I'm sure that John can address that and make sure that we get that information. Yeah, climate change, and you can also just Google me, uh, and you will find the TAR approach for the resolution of shock and trauma, um, tara-approach.org. Climate change and consciousness is uh, cccearth.org. And my personal email address is tara-approach at prodigy, P-R-O-D-I-G-Y.net. I have a, a summit coming up uh, in September on Humanity Rising, which is about ending burnout, uh, which is really another way of saying finding your own innate resilience, which it's all the same thing, really. Uh, it is turning on the blueprint that has your pure intention 
And folks, we have to do this like now, please. Like now, there's there's no time left for, you know, well, should I or shouldn't I? Or I don't know, maybe first I need to resolve my fear of my father or what, you know, it's like, it's it's now. It's like your voice is needed. It doesn't mean that you don't evolve and grow and transmute these obstacles. I have grown so much talking to you tonight. Getting to the place where I really know, Corey, what it is that I'm here to do. Getting to that place, which gets more and more refined every day, every hour. That is all, I'm coming along with it. It's not like I'm doing something for somebody else. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm, I mean, of course I am. I do intend to help other people. I love to be of service. I love the, I get the gratification when people say, oh, I feel so much better now, of course. But in the process of everything that I'm doing, Rosalind, I'm changing. I'm changing. I'm becoming more of what I was meant to be. I'm so grateful. Thank you. <sighs> okay, so um, we can we can end it a little bit early. Um, if unless someone has more they wanted to share, uh, did anyone you got something uh, you wanted to share you haven't shared yet? Um, uh, what's coming to me is like, um, elementary school and college, like people going on strike, so to speak, and then like learning how to do acupressure, learning how to do, uh, dance, learning how to do farming, learning how to do meditation, um, like taking over the institutions and then making them be centers where we're all learning how to do this with each other. Uh, and, and then, or, and forming collectives of, um, you know, basically collectives of tradespeople, um, where, you know, food, clothes, shelter, medicine, the important things, um, that we're trading with each other but also that when we think of education and when we think of healthcare, that it's like learning how to do all of these things um, as the center of the education or the center of the healthcare, instead of like just something that is done on the side. Um, but then also how that can also relate to just how do we socialize with each other? Um, like I'm thinking of my nieces in college and like, um, couldn't they make a cool astrology-based acupressure dating site that where the the women are the ones that choose the men, um, and they can be they could do something far better than Zuckerberg and Facebook. Like, uh, but the, these kind of general revolutions of like, oh, this is actually what we really want to do, um, and and just make giving everyone permission that that's possible to do it. Well, what I always hear you getting to, John, is community. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, I always hear you getting to community and getting to collective connection. Uh, and I would follow that thread, you know, um, I would follow the thread of the central intention and what's behind the ideas. Uh, that, that is, I would say, a kind of um, template that I find works for me is that I look at the initial impulse to do something, create something, manifest something, and then I ask myself, what's behind that? What do I really wanna do? That's part of this process, I think. And um, the more you do it, the faster the answers come so that you don't digress for too long. Digression is an enemy. Digression is um, one of those things I believe Buddhism does teach us that. Um, digression, and we live, what's well, one of the poisons of this culture? We live in a culture, and I'm talking about a global white patriarchal culture. The global white patriarchal thing is totally broken, useless, 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 destructive, pernicious poisonous. And it teaches us to digress. It gives us all the candy we can eat to get us off track. When your mind starts to do that to you, it's time to do an overhaul. Just back out of it. It's They've got you going on it. I don't mean to create a conspiracy us and them theory. But it's, it's the standard operating plan, you know? It's like disempower everybody by just giving them all kinds of colorful candy. Yeah. Just say no. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay, so uh, unless there's anything else, I, I will stop the recording. I love you, Rosalind. <laughs> love you too. Nice seeing you again. <laughs>